Hi, I'm TJ. And I'm Joseph. And this is Hi-Fi. Hello, TJ. Hello, Joseph. Welcome to episode 19. This is episode 19 already? Are we, we, yes. we passed, we, we didn't even realize it, we passed our legal adult age as a podcast, and here we are at 19. Yeah, uh, we can stay huh. up to midnight now and get more work done. Maybe get a part-time <laughs> job after school. Uh, those days those days of staying up till midnight and beyond are way long gone for me. I, I can do it like once, and then the sec- if I do it a second day now... Um, Boy, am I! I'm I'm dead on my feet the next day. I just can't really? do it anymore. Yeah. So you have a good routine. You're legally in bed at ten thirty. Up at what six thirty? No, I'm usually in bed by eleven or eleven thirty. I just can't stay up past that because then I still have to get up to go to work and uh, or or to work. I don't go anywhere to work, but I <laughs> right. Um, I have to get up to work at a certain time. And boy, if I stay up past midnight, it, it's just bad. It, like I said, I can do it once. Like I've got like a thing. I got to get it done. I can, and they'll be like, oh, I'm a little tired. But if I do it another day, ooh, boy, buddy. But man, no, I'm I get um, it. yeah. I'm I'm turning. Uh, do I want to say this on the air? I'm turning 39 in two days. So. <gasps> You're turning older than I am. Oh, uh, wow. that's been the case since you were born. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> but you know what's interesting, Joe, is you were constantly catching up to me. Yes, um, because you and the my gap, brother. Well, the gap between ages. So, so me and my sister were three years apart. My I'm the oldest, and my sister is three years younger than me. Yeah, and. Uh, when, when I was say 10 and she was seven, that seemed like a huge gap. She was so young and immature. And then when I was 23 and she was 20, it doesn't seem like that big of a gap. Right. And now that I'm 39 and she's going to be 36, it's like, there is no gap. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, it's just like that, that gap just sort of shrinks as you get older. So I don't, I don't perceive there being a gap between us, Joe. No, not really. I mean, my body is longer. I took more time to grow. So <laughs> I'm probably older in, than you in terms of my heart has to pump more oh, blood no, you're, to get up you're definitely, here. You're what, 45? Yeah, in <laughs> in silver hair lining years. Oh, no. Like, I have, I have kids uh, that look up at me and say, your hair is white. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Thank you, child. Funny You're story, so and then precious. we can. Funny story, and then we can move on to actual real topics. But my uh, my pastor that in a place where we used to live, um, his hair was pretty much gray. And um, if you would ask him what color his hair was, or somehow he had to say what color his hair was, it was brown. His hair was brown. <laughs> 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 just... <laughs> well, it used to be. Yes. It, yeah. It's that transitionary period from the age of 35 to 60 that men don't really know what their hair color is. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've got a little bit of gray coming in at the temples, but it, 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 my hair is still like sort of blonde brown. I don't know. Yeah, my hair is lighter with silver than my older brother's hair is now. Hmm. He just got married for the first time in his late 30s. And yeah. Life will do that to you if you get married young and have children early. Yeah, except it didn't do that to me. Anyway, should we talk about something people care about? Yes. I had a question for you, TJ. Please, fire away. So I was listening to a podcast the first this year that I can recall that brought this up, but I've heard it many hundreds of times before over the years. 
I've seen it in jokes on Twitter. It gets around on YouTube. This is going to be the year of Linux on the desktop. And everybody laughs. Somebody goes, and it's supposed to be funny. But apparently, this is supposed to actually be the year of Linux on the desktop. And then everybody goes, (laughs) wait, you said it like it's not a joke. (laughs) And I don't even know what that means anymore. Can you explain it to me? Because I've never had Linux. I've looked over the shoulder of a guy or two who had it running on a PC and it looked fascinating. If it was more popular, I undoubtedly would have picked it up and tried it sometimes. But I don't get what's really going on here. What's with the phrase, this is the year of Linux on the desktop? Well, anybody who says it seriously is uh, a, probably a Linux bro. Uh, you know, he's one of those uh, neckbeardy guys who uh, sits behind his computer in his mother's basement and types out stuff and ha- gets into the wars and the computer wars and stuff. Uh, the thing with Linux on the desktop. So people have been saying this is going to be the year of Linux on the desktop since what 1998. I, I don't even remember when was Linux. Uh, when was Linux conceptualized? I don't remember when did Linus Torvalds. Uh, actually release Linux. I don't remember for sure, but but they've been saying it for years and years and years. This is going to be it. Linux is coming, you know, and Linux certainly has its place. But the joke is that Linux, this is the year. This is it. This is the one. Linux on the desktop. Right. And so the podcast you were listening to, Connected, Federico mentioned it as a joke, and and that's that's it's mostly used as a joke now. It's because it's been you know over twenty years since Linux has has been a thing, and Linux is all over the place, but it is never going to be on the desktop unless something massive changes. The problem with Linux is that it is um, an open source project. And so then there are many, um, many distributions of that open source project. So they all share the Linux kernel, right? Which Linus Torvalds created, um, and all, all operating systems have what's called a kernel, um, at least modern operating systems, the way they're conceptualized and run these days. And then you you build things on top of that, and you build user interfaces, and Ubuntu is probably the – I would say probably the most popular distribution or distro of of uh, Linux. Um, it is what I run on my servers. Um, it is what I have installed on my PC on another hard drive. When I want to boot up Linux, I boot up Ubuntu. Or actually, I think I'm running a variant of Ubuntu that somebody built on top of even further. So the point is, it's a little disjointed. And uh, it has many of the same problems that Windows has, which is that it is not built for a specific set of hardware that, you know, there is a list that, you know, for instance, Apple keeps of the hardware that macOS supports, and it drops the older ones off over time and brings the newer ones onto the top, and it continues rolling support for a certain set of hardware. Linux like Windows, must support any known configuration of hardware under the sun and many unknowns. Like it also has to provide a way for people to support hardware that it hasn't even conceived of. So in that way, it has some of the same problems as Windows, but the problem is that it is it is an open source project and most people contributing to it aren't working on it for their job, or if they are, it is a side project related to their job that they, are, they have to run Ubuntu and so they contribute to the core to keep it up and running. This is a great, like, so... Linux dominates the server space. Sure, there are Windows servers, and sure, there is even Mac servers, although that is less and less of a thing over time. Almost all servers, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's a very high percentage, are running Linux. Certainly all my servers are running Linux. As I said, they're running Ubuntu. Uh, CentOS is another popular one. Um, So yeah, uh, servers run Linux. Here's the interesting thing. People talk joke about it being the year of Linux on the desktop. Linux, except for Windows, Linux, or or more more appropriately uh, to say, Unix has taken over 
everything because everything except for Windows is a variant of Unix or a Unix-like operating system. So Mac OS built on a uh, mock microkernel, which is BSD, which is Unix. Um, Android is built on Linux directly. Um, and then huh. you have uh, iOS and iPad OS, which was forked from Mac OS, stripped down to the bones, and then rebuilt on top of the mock microkernel. So it is also running a variant of Unix. At one point, I don't think this is the case anymore, but at one point, Mac OS was actually certified Unix. Um, so, yeah, Unix really has taken over the world, and so many systems run it, and people don't even know it. So I've delved way off into the weeds. The joke is this is the year of Linux on the desktop and it's never going to happen. So Unix being this foundation to all these other OSs, is there going to come a day when they're going to come out with iOS 20 and we went and rebuilt it from the ground up and we got rid of Unix? Is that a thing? Is that conceivable? No, there's there's no way, because everything now is built on top of of, of Unix, and and when we say built on top of Unix, what we're really talking about is Unix uh, compatible or Unix like, so that at the core level, binary binarily speaking, those uh, the input output layers of these applications are compatible. They they know how to converse with the kernel, and there it's I, I just don't see anything supplanting that because it's been built on and built on and, and updated and and brought forward, and it has become the standard. Uh, and at some point, you know, um, it doesn't make sense to change that out because you're continually improving it and making it better. Why would you go back to the drawing board when you don't need to? Okay. Well, that's a really good education. Thank you for explaining all that <laughs> because that's about what I was thinking by reading into the storylines I get from everybody talking about it, but I really hadn't got it officially. Yeah, well, and I don't think I ever finished fully explaining why it's such a joke. The the Linux on the desktop for the average computer user, you know, people talk about how easy it is to install Linux, and and it, it definitely is easier than ever, but it still isn't the same for everybody, depending on, you know, my hardware, I had some trouble, you know, I was able to boot from the live, I, so I downloaded it, I, I imaged it, on, which first of all, who's going to download an image onto a, a USB drive? Your average user is not going to do that. But I downloaded no. Ubuntu, I imaged it onto my USB drive, it booted up from the, what's called the live CD, which is actually the USB, from the live disk, um, it booted up just fine, I installed it, and then the install wouldn't boot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so you Google that problem and, and like 10% of users have this problem. And so I figured out how to fix it and the drivers that I needed and all this stuff. But, but, but the point is that Linux, because it is not built by a company invested in making it user accessible for your average user, um, it's for nerds and it's for server users, you know, people who run servers like me and, you know, we're, we're a little more, more technically savvy. Your average user just can't get into that sort of elbow grease and, and, you know, Microsoft and Apple, uh, they are, their customers pay them to make that much more painless, and their computers come. You know, the computers come with Mac OS. Um, computers come with Windows pre-installed. Some computers do come with Ubuntu or or some other distro pre-installed, but it is pretty few and far between, and it's usually a special order. Like Dell will ship you with Linux pre-installed, but you have to choose that. And when you know Windows is entrenched, and you go. Oh, I could check this box that says Linux. I don't even know what that is. And the and they probably have years of Windows <laughs> software. Like that's just not gonna gonna happen. So that's a long answer for your simple question. What is what is the joke? This is the year of Linux on desktop. Well, I feel like you just were reading from the the TJ Wikipedia article, but that's really good <laughs> stuff right there. So I, I know I know we've been going along on a good th- uh, topic here. I I, I promise we will get to the end of it here very soon. But I, I wanted you to clarify one thing: Why would it become more popular than say running Windows on servers? 
Um, because Windows, uh, so I actually do manage, or, or I am involved in managing uh, a couple of Windows servers for software that has to run on a Windows server and it can't run to, run run on a uh, Linux server. And in order to manage that server, there is no SSH and command line in. So SSH is a way to um, do a, what's called a remote shell session uh, where you SSH in and then you type out your commands and it's command line uh, and you do it remotely with you know secure access keys and things like that. There's no way to do that on, on Windows Server because Windows um, has always been a graphical user interface and, and Microsoft, you know, of course they started out with DOS but they abandoned that and now you can emulate DOS but it is, it is Windows. It is the graphical user interface and I'm sure somebody's going to come along and tell me how you can do this and that but the point is in general, generally speaking, anything you do in windows server is all gui based and so you have to what's called remote desktop in and that that is just painful it's the it's resource intensive that takes more bandwidth and if your bandwidth is low you can barely get anything done because you're doing this remote desktop and and shell sessions over the pipe they take very little bandwidth and so you can do it i've done it on you know like dial-up connections um now it's a little bit certainly a little bit slower you type in a command and you wait for it to do its thing and, and return some sort of text back but far less resource intensive and when once you know the command line and you know the things you're trying to do it is so much easier to manage and in general like you know the nerds they've gravitated toward building up linux as the server stack and windows is just a very different beast and so sure there's lots of windows servers in the world but there's a it's a small percentage compared to the linux servers okay awesome Okay, well, then moving on, one of the fun things that we discovered in January was that Dell was coming out with, with new high-end UHD monitors, computer monitors. Did, did we talk about this? I don't remember this. You brought up that you wanted a new, fine, beautiful desktop computer monitor to go along with your, from uh, Apple. your Mac. Yeah, from Apple. And gotcha. okay. then rumor has it now that Apple is more than likely going to release another one that is more... Uh, uh, you know, reasonably priced for the masses to come in underneath their high-end one that they sell with the Mac Pros <laughs> and the Mac Minis. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> the uh, So Dells seem to have a pretty good number of Apple users who need another external monitor when they cannot just tether a bunch of or desi-chain some iMacs together to get multiple displays. I, I remember years ago that I read in specs about an iMac I must have gotten around 2011 that one thing it could potentially do would be to use it as another external display. And that was one of the reasons why I chose to go with the iMac versus other models because thinking ahead, I really liked the iMac's display and I pictured that when a day came that I wanted to retire that iMac, I would like to use it as an external display for the next Mac I got. And it wasn't a day that it ever came because when that time came, I got a new Mac, I tried to use that iMac as a second display. It didn't work then. So I didn't understand yeah, Apple, where Apple I got the wrong... That. Yeah. Well, iMacs used to be able to do that, and Apple stopped enabling that in the firmware of the iMac. Okay, that explains it. Yeah. I felt, I felt gypped, but anyway. It's pretty dumb. Dell treats us pretty well, and I've had several Dell monitors that we used in various offices, in whether we were using PCs or Macs, and they've just come out with a, a pretty interesting offering. If you thought that the... The Apple display was too expensive at $6,000 with its stand. 
then and we maybe do. $2,100 for this display sounds a little bit more reasonable, TJ? Not to me, but um, I, I mean, I, I have different opinions about displays. Um, so this is the, the the one that we'll link to in the show notes here that you're talking about is Dell's new UltraSharp 40. It is a 40-inch uh, ultra-wide curved display, so it curves sort, sort of slightly toward you at the edges. Um, I, I don't like displays this big, uh, believe it or not. I think that this is just too large and unwieldy and the, the, the curve, I suppose helps a little, but then you're, you're, you have to move your head a little to get the right viewing angle, depending on which thing you're looking at. And I would rather have a completely flat display that's smaller and have more of them. So I'm looking at three Dell displays in front of me that are 4k, 24 inch 4ks. Um, they look great. They're super sharp, uh, high DPI. Uh, so you get the retina, um, at Mac West recognizes it as retina. So everything's cool there. And, um, uh, yeah, and, and I have three of them. So one is directly in front of me and two are out on the sides and I have visa mounts that, that keep them and curve them. And, you know, these out ones are, are tilted in toward me, but the panels themselves are flat and these were $320 each, I think, depending on when I bought them, but roughly $320 each. So let's do the math. 320 times three is $960, which is less than this 40 inch display that I don't like as much. And I get more, um, desktop space. <laughs> No, I think you did the right thing, and Bruce Wayne would uh, tip his hat to you. <laughs> there are some other models that they announced alongside of this one. If you thought this version was just too big for your taste, there is a 38-inch version of this thing, and it costs $1,500. There's a 24 and a 27-inch version, both that are coming at 460 and 680 and I'm not in the market right now. I'm really happy with a Dell monitor I got. Uh, and it's not especially beautiful, sexy, It's but it's very practical and looks good alongside of a Mac. It oh, is yeah. the UltraSharp U2415 24-inch screen LED monitor. And it gets the job done when I don't want to view things in, you know, it, when it's not important to have a reference monitor. You know, mm-hmm. so I put something over there like my Apple Music or just a simple web browser or the email on my second display. And then I'm doing the content editing on my primary iMac 5K 27 inch display. But since working remotely, TJ, here at home, I've been going without a second display because my desk is just not big enough. And I really miss that second display. I'm on the verge of getting a sit-stand desk. And depending on you know I, what model I get will depend upon if it can support a second display because that is important to me. I want to get that out of the closet, dust it off, and set it up on my new desk. But I'm not in the market yet for a, a new one. I, but I, I do think that if you got to have a, a new extra wide Dell monitor, you're not going wrong with this thing. And it is certainly nice for all of the Mac users that are not interested in waiting to see what Apple comes out with. Because in all likelihood, and whatever Apple comes out with is going to be what, 27 inches, maybe what do you predict? I'm saying it's going to be 27 inches or higher. Well, I I think that what they'll do, and we're going to talk, hopefully, if we get to it, um, and we'll see, um, hopefully we'll talk about some of these rumors, and I think that the sizes of monitor, of display, if, if Apple does indeed do standalone displays, I think they will be the same panels that they'll do in the iMac, so they would be presumably 21 and 27. Oh, I, I hadn't thought the of them IMAX making sizes. two model options, I just figured they would go for one, but I, I would hope that they would do that, that'd be great. 
Well, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like you are, you're already manufacturing the panels for the iMac. Why not also do them as standalone displays? And they would, first of all, you need a good standalone display for your Mac Mini, which I know that the idea of the Mac Mini was originally just replace your PC with this Mac Mini, hook it up to the same display and keyboard and stuff, and you're off to the races. But in Heck reality, no, in, the, in, in 2021, this, and, right, and this far in, sure, the Mac Mini can serve that purpose, but also many of us would be interested in buying it as its own computer. Uh, although hopefully for me, maybe that will be moot, but we'll talk about that later. Um, as far as your um, desk, Joe, um, I want to send you something. I just sent you a link, and I'll, I'll drop this in the show notes as well. Oh, um, okay. This is the, this is the uh, Visa mount that I use. And so if, if the problem – and maybe this isn't the problem for you, but if the problem is that you don't have enough desk space for the, the foot of the monitor to stand on, then maybe a Visa mount would help you because it can kind of go off to the side or something like that. Um, that the one could that help, I, yeah. The one that I'm using is three. You can also get these that are just two if you only want two. Um, you know, and depending on the size of your display, um, so mine literally the biggest it can go is 24 inch displays. I, I don't think I could fit larger displays on this Visa mount. Um, but if you went with a two arm Visa mount, then you might be able to get bigger displays. So, in any event, that's something to think about. Uh, if you can't fit, you know, it can't. There's no space on your desk for it to stand on. Maybe a right. Visa mount would help. And I actually found, um, even though I could fit on my desk all of my displays with their feet instead of the Visa mount, I get a lot more desk space with these with the Visa mount. I'm not opposed. Really nice. uh, I, I, right now, the I'm using a uh, an area of a room I'm sharing for the desk space. So there's a dresser to the left. There's a doorway to the right, mm. and I could I could pull it off. But yeah, I'm not crazy about my options. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted when springtime comes around to relocate my desk to the garage, but that'll be murder in the summertime. So then I'd be back into the house again. Yeah. So we'll see. The bottom line here for me with the Ultra Sharp 40, I don't particularly like it um, and what it would do for me. And so I'm pretty happy with my my other Dell displays, my older Dell displays, which are 4K 24-inch. Now, what I would be interested in, but I'm, I'm not willing to spend the money in for a long time because I'm invested in this setup and I don't want to spend more money for a while. But what I would be interested in eventually is reducing these bezels to nothing, whether that's Apple or Dell that does that. I don't care. Uh, I, do, I do hope, whether I buy it or not, at, like I said, Apple does release a display because they need to release – normal you know normally priced standalone displays they really i think it was a huge mistake for them to get out of that business so i'm just not interested in a display that is more than 30 inches myself but if it's a wide display i could see that maybe they would get away with it and Mm -hmm. i do like having two displays because having a defined space it makes it easier to decide on where some of the apps ought to go like this can be full screen on the second display i I like thinking that way we've done that for the last 20 years so Uh, it's it's kind of ingrained now. Yeah. All right, Joe, this next uh, bit of business, this Kensington Studio Doc, this is something you also put in the show notes. So take it away, man. Yes. So I noticed that there are more and more people that on a budget are trying to use their iPad Pros like they would use a maybe an, a, a Mac Mini setup and then use it on the go. When they want to walk away from the desk, they just need that you know, keyboard case cover. But then when they come back to their home, they want to quote, get real work done on their iPad Pro or do some writing and they like the desk environment and all the more power to them. And then we do have the Federico Vatici's of the world that appreciate using the iPad Pro for professional work all the time. And they're very serious about it and they do get their real work done. 
So I think that there's two class of iPad Pro users, TJ, that could get uh, into more accessories with the iPad Pro with a home desk environment in mind. And the Kensington guys as well have been thinking along these lines. So they announced the Studio Dock, a desktop hub for the iPad. And it basically looks like the Apple's fancy, yeah, you know, high-end monitors stand, but it is for the iPad Pro. And TJ, I bet you it's going to cost less than $1,000 by itself to hold up your iPad. I should think so. See, this is an interesting thing. I'm, I'm just sort of skimming this article and looking over the specs. It appears to have um, wireless uh, charging for your iPhone. Excuse me, for your iPhone, for your um, uh, AirPods, and for your watch as well. It can kind of mount to the side there. Um, it's an interesting product. I, it's not for me, and I'll tell you why it's not for me. And I don't resent this being in the world. I think it needs to be in the world for people who want it. But for my iPad use, um, the Magic Keyboard case is perfect. Um, I, it, more and more, the iPad is my on-the-go um, sort of device. Um, I take it with me. I, I have ways to SSH into my servers if something goes wrong with those. Um, and so, I, and it has. Uh, um, cellular, so I can take it with me and, and be assured that I can, in a pinch, do some things. Uh, but also, it just it's nice to take it and sit on the couch and you know respond to some emails, uh, you know populate my to do list for the day. Uh, but when then when I want to actually work, I go over to my computer and my displays and I do work. So for my needs, this isn't a thing. However, for somebody like Federico Vitici or somebody whose needs can be served by the iPad and they want to dock to a desk, this looks like a great solution for that. Yeah, one of the good use cases is like we were just talking about with a Mac setup, you could use this as a second display. So if you were thinking that 224-inch displays are a bit too much for your desk, but you have enough room, you're going to use your iPad on your desk if you had the option, then this would look good alongside of another display. And that's one of the Things it's not it's not really important to me, but it's a nice to have that I've really enjoyed in the past. When I had a larger desk, having my iPad there alongside of everything else, but we have the means to use the iPad Pro as a second display for the Mac when it's right there anyway. So a nice stand like this really makes it feel like it ha- it ha- it deserves its place alongside of the Mac. So that is a pretty good option as well. And and, and even Kensington, it's not available yet and they haven't announced what it's going to cost, but they do have a splash page for it. And one of the examples, they're using it as a second display beside of the Mac on the desk. I think this is a nice device and I think it's, I think it's great that it's going to be in the world. And I, I, I do find it curious that Apple doesn't do stuff like this. There's Sometimes it seems like Apple does believe in the iPad, and sometimes it seems like, it's, well, we sort of shot this thing out into the world, and there you go, do something with it. And I don't know. I, I feel like if Apple were to invest in more things like this, um, again, I'm glad Kensington's doing it, but if Apple were to also invest in more things in the ecosystem like this, it would give others confidence that they do believe the iPad is worth investing in. As a whole, TJ, I've been thinking about this in the past week. Do you think that Apple does interesting things with accessories for their products in general or do you no. get the feeling like they that's something that they really drop the ball on because i kind of think that they do most of the time i think that they can and have done interesting things with accessories but mostly they're like i think they get these really cool ideas about accessories and then they don't 
do them. And they don't like if I, I honestly think that if Apple were to prime the pump a little bit more with accessories, that we would see a lot better accessories from third parties. But because Apple doesn't do it, it sort of signals a no confidence in, in the strategy. And there's also no competition for third parties to do better. And um, you, you can see where where Apple does do just a little bit. The third-party accessories come along and go, oh, oh. But it's almost like they need inspiration to kind of fill that gap and go, oh, we can totally do that better. But we, they were inspired by Apple doing yeah, it in the first place. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. That That's what I was saying. I, I realized I wasn't exactly clear. I, I agree with you that usually their own accessories seem to have just a spark of a good idea. So this new generation of MagSafe for the iPhone 12, they have just made the way for a lot of exciting accessories, but they're not really doing anything that makes a whole lot of sense. Once the hype dies down, I don't understand how many customers really need to have the MagSafe puck charger, but it is a fascinating idea and it does work really well. And maybe if you're not crazy about plugging in because you like you you have a tendency to break your cables, I don't know. But then you have to spend a whole lot more for the MagSafe charger, and I'm I don't mm. really feel compelled to do so. That's interesting. I actually love my MagSafe charger on my by my bed a whole lot because I literally just sort of get my phone near it in the right place, and whoop, it just magnetizes right on. And in the morning, I just I literally just grab hold the cable and pull my phone right off, and there's no stress on anything. Um, it's, I really love it. I, I, I don't know what I would do without it. Well, so in terms of, of Apple products, it's not the most expensive. $40 is, you know, relatively affordable. I mean, I think you can get the Apple silicone cases for $40 and they, Mm. they both have about as much utility, but when you consider other ways that you can charge your device that are much more affordable than $40, that, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm calling it into question. It's like, this is a nice to have. It's a step in the right direction. It's an interesting concept, Apple. Thank you for making the way for magnetic devices that can be paired with the phone. I just don't find what you in particular are offering to be especially compelling. But it, it's still nice to have. So there's other chargers that I, that I appreciate more. Well, speaking of iPhone accessories, you've you've got a few. I, I take it from for your iPhone 12 Pro large thingy, whatever it is you have. <laughs> yes, I've got for, the mini, and you have one larger. That's all I know. Yeah, for the iPhone 12 Pro battleship mode uh, model, <laughs> yes. um, I got the uh, the what is it? Pacific Blue model is uh, anyone who's been listening a while would remember, mm-hmm. and. I was debating whether or not to be caseless full time, and like TJ, I prefer to be caseless. Still caseless. My wife thinks that that would give her a nervous breakdown to see me using my phone caseless all the time because (laughs) she doesn't know anyone else that has ever done that since uh, the dawn of smartphones. And, you know, when we talked about this, when we were getting to know each other, TJ, I had to be honest and, you know, you got to tell the truth when you you're courting someone you got to tell them, well, yeah, actually I have broken a phone or two in my time. And part of the reason was that I didn't have a case on it, to be honest. Mm. So it it, it does sting and we'll get to Apple care in a little bit, but I want to talk about the case idea. Uh, I think that one of the reasons why I'm attracted to the pro line versus the standard line is that it is more durable and, but we should laugh because it's still got a whole lot of glass to it. 
And the case line these days, um, what I've always uh, liked the most has been thin. The thinner, the better. I like slim cases. I like skins. And I discovered the brand called Peel a few years ago. And I think you got a Peel two, uh, case two for one of your, what was it, a 10S or a 10? I've had a couple of Peels for my 6S. And I had a Peel for my, um, uh, what was the name of that uh, phone? The Google Pixel uh, 2XL. And in all cases, I would get warping around the thin part that, that is above the buttons. And it would start bubbling up. And I hated it. I hated it. I love the th- thinness. But I would wind up what I what I wound up doing as just side note is I took a pair of um, wire cutters and cut the top parts above the buttons off um, to get rid of that bubbling. Um, but it oh, wasn't yeah. the best wasn't the best experience. Yeah, and I felt the same way about the peel cases. They promised a lot. They looked good the first month. They work really well, but then they start gradually curling more and more, and then they also get discolored over time. So you know, a lot of the clear cases they get that nasty discoloration. But when the case is already thin to begin with, there's not a whole lot there to discolor. And so it does get discolored, I think, maybe a little bit faster. Then again, I might be wrong about that. My impression was when I had the clear frosted ones that they got discolored faster. So I'd heard good things about a competitor for the Peel cases. This is the Totally brand, which is T-O-T-A-L-L-E-E. And they make a slim case as well, and it matches the colors of the iPhone 12 line. What I thought was interesting, TJ, was you have the regular 12 mini in its blue, and I have the Pacific blue phone. And I think that totally wanted to split the difference and make a blue frosted slim case for the 12 line that would be a middle of the road that would work on a Pacific blue phone or on the regular phone. So what I have is not exactly Pacific Blue, and it's not the standard blue. It's kind of right in between, and I think it would work on both. And I would recommend it. I highly recommend it. I think it's a little bit pricey for what you get. <laughs> you know, it, 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 do, do you feel gypped when you can buy a phone case that is extra bulky with um, little like ports that flip open to get access to speakers and, and the porthole? And But then you can spend $40 in that big chunky case or for this slim case that just gives you the bare minimum amount of protection, it also costs forty dollars. I personally feel like this product ought to be less than forty dollars, just because it's not nearly as many materials. What do you think? Well, it's sort of like the argument that an iPhone should cost less because it's smaller, but in mm-hmm. fact, miniaturization often costs more. And so, I would wager that manufacturing those thin little cases actually takes just as much as manufacturing a big one. Yeah, that's that's a good point. One of the, my favorite things about the slim cases is that if you are used to the feel of the buttons on the side for the sleep wake button, the volume controls, and your toggle for uh, volume and silent mode, the fun thing with a slim case is that the totally cases anyway, it is no thicker than the buttons on the side of the iPhone 12. So they're flush with the case, and when you give them a press, you're kind of like indenting, you're going, you're dipping down deeper than the case on the phone itself. And so it doesn't have protruding, uh, like casing around and over top of the buttons. Uh, Those buttons are fully exposed. 
And most people that would look at the case would not even think that you have one on the phone. I just love it. So I would highly recommend it if you're interested in a slim case. In your case, you're going caseless even if you were to travel. I have done some traveling without the case, and it's been totally, ha ha ha, totally. It's been totally fine. Um, so I, yeah, I, I have a case somewhere. I don't even know where it's at at the moment. The Apple Silicon case. Um, what Apple color? Silicone, Apple Silicone case. Uh, black. It's black like my phone and like my heart. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I like dark tech products. I just, I do. Um, yeah, and it's funny because I like light user interfaces. Maybe that's my contrast. Anyway, um, yeah, I have a case in case I ever wanted to use it, um, but I just haven't had a case where I wanted a case, so I don't case. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so another iPhone uh, accessory, and I've discovered this to be my favorite far and away, TJ. And I don't know if I could sell you on one of these, but I didn't realize how much I would love this until I have it now. And this is a MagSafe compatible snap-on stand and wallet. So you remember when Apple originally discussed their accessories, they showed off that there was a wallet for the first time from Apple that is magnetically able to attach to the back of the 12 line. And it's made of uh, high-end leather materials. It It's well-machined. There was a little bit of debate about whether or not it was worth its price tag. And then there were some people who reviewed it saying, it really isn't. It's, it's you know, It can hold barely two cards. And I need a wallet to have a lot more utility than that. So then there were others who came back with, well... You know, there is a niche for slim wallets anyway that only hold a card or two or a small amount of money. So if you're one of those people who carries one credit card and their ID, you probably would appreciate this alternative to go along with your phone. I don't know how many customers would actually be in the market for such a thing because it just doesn't sound like that is a common use case, a common situation. However, uh, I came across this thing that was recommended by, I think it was iMore and a few other websites, the Moft M-O-F-T MagSafe compatible snap-on standard wallet. So picture, if you will, Apple's leather wallet, but on the the outer side of the leather, it can bend and fold like say, one of the iPad covers that folds into a triangle and makes a stand for the iPad to stand up on a counter space. So one side of the wallet is rigid. That is the side with the magnet that attaches to the phone. The outer side bends into a triangle and it's rigid enough with its folds that it can hold your iPhone either in portrait or landscape orientations when you set it down on your countertop. So it'll hold two cards. It's made of leathers. I'm not sure if this is faux leather. It kind of feels like a really nice faux leather there to me. And it's uh, stitched on the sides. And the backside of it folds just like you would expect from a lot of iPad cases. So I wasn't, I've never been a fan of carrying stuff in my pockets. I, I love to have a handy pocket knife, my keys. And because of necessity, I'll carry a wallet, but I don't really want to. And one of the reasons and yet for going to carry with a, slim, a pocket knife. I know, but it's just so handy. I can't get away from the fact that a pocket knife is just so good. 
And so I have one that has a clip on it so that I can actually clip it onto my pants on the outside of a pocket. And then, um, you are such a nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Slim cases, wallets that, uh, double as stands, you catch the drift. <laughs> so I, I'm very proud of the fact that I can barely feel my phone in my pocket now. And with that case, it, the fact that the 12 is the, the thinnest iPhone Apple's made in a long time. And then now with this, this wallet TJ, this is the smallest wallet I've ever had. So in the event that I got to have more out of my wallet, I'm, I'm keeping my old one. I'm keeping it in my nightstand. It's going to have uh, uh, all the cards that can't possibly fit into this little guy. And then, you know, about 99 times out of 100, I don't need those other cards anyway. So in this basic wallet, I'm putting in there my ID and one credit card. And on the back of my iPhone, I don't even feel it in my pocket. And that means the other pocket that would have had my wallet doesn't have a wallet in there at all. I love it so much. It is a way better product in experience than it sounds. I have some questions for you. Got Does it? it yeah. Are you afraid that it's going to come off of the phone when it's magnetized to the phone? Yeah, so in terms of build materials and the quality of the magnet, it feels very good. Let me pop off my totally case and see what it does for the magnetization. So the magnet is stronger. It is snappier if I just had this wallet onto the back of the phone. With the totally case being thin, thin plastic, it is weakening the magnet ever so slightly. Um, however, it's not enough that I would say that it really cripples the wallet. So I think it was John Syracuse. You know, we're going to have to start ringing a bell every time we reference that guy. Um, For sure. Who mentioned that if you're pulling two magnets apart from each other, there's a lot of resistance. But if you're going to remove one magnet from another easily, all you got to do is slide them apart and away from each other left and right. So you don't pull them directly away from each other by their, their strongest force. In other words, the shearing force is, is, is much, it's much easier to disconnect magnets by shearing than by pulling. Thank you. That is exactly right. And that is the case with any of this magnetized stuff. So you probably already noticed that with your charger puck, I would think. Yes. Yeah, so when I when I go to take my phone off of the magnet uh, in the morning, I usually just hang onto the wire and then just pull straight. So, so it's shearing it right off and it comes right off. Exactly. Sure. So the same thing would be true about the wallet. And I, I think that if you are worried about dropping your wallet on the ground and losing it entirely then this is not going to be a wallet that solves a problem for you. You still have to be mindful of where the wallet is at all times. See, what, I, what I'd be afraid of is I'm constant. I, I pull my phone out of my pocket when I'm out and when I have my wallet on me way more than I pull my wallet out. And so I'd be afraid that I'd be pulling my phone out, the wallet is attached magnetically, and then I'm just in the habit of just sliding that thing right back into my pocket. And I'd be afraid that the pocket would catch and shear the magnet, magnetic wallet right off and onto the ground and I wouldn't notice it. So... I haven't had this for more than a day, but so far I haven't had an incident where that remotely almost happened. And I'm not even giving it a whole lot of thought. Because we have 
put things into our pockets like a billion times in our lifetime. That is one of those muscle memories where I just don't really think about it. And unfortunately, that is one of the times that I broke an earlier iPhone I had. I had, I think that was the 10s, and I was coming out of the drugstore and I wasn't in a good mood. I wasn't thinking clearly. I was opening up my car and getting into the car at the same time and sitting into the seat. I thought with my left hand, I was sticking my phone and slipping it into my front pocket, but I actually just launched it down my leg into the concrete pavement. Oh, no. I've never done that. I've heard of it happening. Yeah, so with muscle memory, you know, messing with you like that, I I could see that happening. But then my phone is probably going to go with it. And is it possible that the wallet goes outside the pocket and the phone goes into the pocket and I don't feel the friction in my hand? Possibly. So I know I know accidents can definitely happen. And if you're prone to accidents, I, I, <laughs> TJ, um, I'll tell you a secret. As long as you don't tell anybody else. I have been paying attention to this last few years. I drop something every day. I, I don't know why, but I drop something every day. And it's always something different, whether it's food or, you know, or I, uh, my keys. I don't know what. And it, it's, it's rarely ever anything any important, but I'll drop my fork. I don't get it. And I catch myself doing it. And I'm like, why did I do that? I drop something every day. Interesting. And, I do and not. so <laughs> I. I'm mindful of it, even though I'm doing it. And it, it chances are that what I'm going to drop is not my phone because I don't drop my phone very often. Um, going back to the wallet, though, I would have totally not gotten this accessory. <laughs> but if, if but would put me over this, the tipping point, the selling point was that it also doubles as that stand. Mm. And I love that stand, TJ. So like, it, like, you know, I'm changing my clothes. I started my phone and I happened across a video, you know, I want to play on a YouTube video. I'm going to watch and I can say, play, put the phone down and it's standing upright so I can see it while I'm changing my shirt. It, it, it's so intuitive. It's so handy. And then you just, you know, pop the back of that stand flat and go about your business. The stand is gone. So my wife has a stand that works for a smartphone and a tablet device. You can, you know, use your own separate, sold separately power charger to plug it in on the stand. So there's plenty of ample room around the port for that sort of thing. And you can adjust the tilting angle on this stand and it's made of aluminum. It's uh, in a, a sort of a rose pink gold color and it looks mighty nice and it's portable enough so that she takes it from the kitchen to the bathroom, whether she's, you know, doing her hair or she's cooking dinner. But it doesn't really fold up. The whole thing has a little bit of heft to it, and she would never dream of taking it with her on family vacation. And this wallet does everything that I want it to do that her stand can do, but it can go with me anywhere. I could use it this use this at the gym to follow some sort of new Apple Fitness Plus, you know, routine. And uh, rather than just like plopping my phone back down on the floor while I get a yoga mat out, I could use the stand for the phone next to me on the yoga mat. You, you know what I'm saying? There's use cases for a stand. 
And I'm not interested in getting like an extra bulky life proof case or uh, otter box case that has some sort of uh, leg that pops out on the back of it, like the Nintendo Switches. Because again, I'm just not interested in big bulky cases. So this is the first time I've come across a device that provides this much compact, slim form factor that is a multi... It's, a, it's, a, it's not a unitasker, it's a multitasker. It's, it's a wallet, and it's also a stand. I love it. Yeah, I have no need for a stand, so that part doesn't appeal to me. And then I have to have three cards. When I'm traveling, when I, when I have a need for my wallet, I have to have three cards. My ID or slash driver's license, my uh, Apple card, and then a gas card, which um, is a credit card that we get special kickbacks on more than Apple card would give us. Oh, interesting. Um, so we, we use that for gas. And then I also carry anywhere from 100 to $200 in cash. Just generally speaking, I just have cash on my person. I, I rarely use it. I rarely use it, but there have been times it's like, I'm glad I had that cash. And I just don't know how that's going to work with a you know slim, minimal wallet on the back of a phone. And that sucks because I don't like carrying the wallet and I hate having to remember the wallet and I occasionally forget the wallet. I'll, I'll be like, I got to go run and I'll grab my phone and my keys and I'll jump in the car and I'll get there and I won't have my wallet. It, it has been known to happen. Yeah, I am trying to figure that one out because when I go on vacation, I don't know that I will want to go back to my regular wallet. So I'm still thinking that through. Hmm. All right. Well, we should move on. Um, we've exhausted the wallet topic, um, but you wanted to talk about Apple Care. Um, yes. So I was getting the iPhone uh, through T-Mobile, and then Apple became aware that I had the new phone, and I could get a as as they do. Yeah, uh, yeah, as they do. And then I, I could get a warranty through T-Mobile. The, I think it's called Assura Care or something like that. And I've used them in the past. My dad has used them. My sister has used them. And then we have Apple Care is another alternative. And it's nice that it has tiers and it lets you pay by the month or you can pay in advance a full price, one-time fee. And you can get Apple Care with or without uh, theft and loss coverage. So if you wanted to spend another $70, you could get the theft and loss coverage. Uh, TJ, I wanted to know from you, are you doing Apple Care at all? I am. I decided that these phones are enough of an investment that I wanted uh, Apple Care Plus with theft and loss, um, and so I went ahead and paid for the full two years. Uh, fully paid for it, and so when two years is up, we're not going to keep going with it. But it, it's just enough of an investment for two years. I want to have that safety, um, and not to throw anyone under the bus. But someone in my household who isn't me, who has an, a phone, has had more incidents with their phone than I have. <laughs> so, so I definitely wanted that on this uh, unnamed person's phone. Um, and so, yes, uh, I have done that. Uh, in addition, I, I, you know, Apple products, I, for a long time, uh, I, I did, you know, when I first started buying Apple products back in, what, 2003 or four or whenever it was, um, I did Apple Care because that seemed like a good idea, but I never needed to use it. And so I stopped doing it after a few years and then it seemed like Apple products went to got to a point where I was regretted not doing it, and so I started doing it again, and I haven't I haven't stopped since then. So it's a it's probably a toss up, it's a wash of whether it's worth doing or not. 
Um, but, and I think Apple goes through phases like their hardware does better at some times than others, but, uh, yes, to answer your long story longer, <laughs> yes, um, I am doing Apple care on the phones and, um, I don't, oh, I did, I did Apple care on my iPad. Um, oh, and I did Apple care on my watch. Yes. I've never broken an iPad. Well, okay. I, ooh, Cla- ooh, knock on wood. No, whoa, whoa, knock on wood, Joe. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> actually superstitious. times. Yeah. I'm not actually superstitious, but, you know, just in case. I've never thought to do the Apple Care on the iPad just out of sight and out of mind, and it didn't occur to me anywhere along the way. But that's not a bad mm-hmm. idea, especially well, since I mean, I've spent I, a lot of money on those. My thinking was it's actually more likely to be dropped than my phone. My phone fits fully in my hand. I don't drop my phone. I just don't. I haven't dropped my iPad yet either, but it's on this precarious uh, – much as I love the the, um, the, the case, the, the keyboard case for the iPad, it is a little precarious, especially like it's a little top-heavy and you know you set it on a counter and you're watching something while you're making chili just for instance or whatever and it might get knocked off. you know, and Or it, it's just – it's a bigger, more unwieldy device and I figure you're carrying it around a lot more even than a laptop. It seems like the most likely to break. So yeah. that was my thinking. So I'm living boldly and I haven't used Apple Care in a while. And I stopped using the insurance program with T Mobile on my previous device. I yeah. don't think you're wrong for doing it. And I don't think I'm wrong for not doing it because no. I, well, it's a gamble, right? It's a gamble. You're, it what, is. You're, what you're gambling, uh, well, well it's, it's insurance, so it's, but, but it's sort of like gambling. So if, if you don't buy the insurance, you're saying, I don't believe I'm going to need this. And so I don't want to pay the extra money. I would rather have that money in my pocket to, to do something else with. Yeah. And I don't think that this is a good reason for upgrading to an iPhone 12 Pro. But it is true that the materials are more durable than ever. I've watched a few examples where people did drop tests with this device off of a like a 12-foot ladder. They tried to deliberately drop it face down, uh, uh, drop it on the back, drop it on the side, drop it on the top, drop it on the bottom, and deliberately like throw it at the concrete. And I've watched these every year for the last three or four years. And all the other phones break fairly rapidly, but the iPhone 12 Pro doesn't break so rapidly. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that this is you know a completely sane decision, but if you were worried about your iPhone 12 Pro breaking, it's less likely than even the iPhone 11 Pro. So with that in consideration and putting on a case anyway and not working outside of the home, but being home most of the time now, and for the foreseeable future, if it does come to the point that I'm traveling traveling a lot, there's actually been a lot of discussion over the last few years where I work, where I'm employed, I do video production. And there's been discussion that I would be traveling to overseas. I'd be going to Egypt. Hmm. I'd be interviewing people in a few other countries. And if those kinds of things ever happen, I'm definitely upgrading by case. I'm getting something way more robust. And <laughs> if it came to that, I would think that I could save $100. I don't know. Even if I'm buying a life-proof case in this, in the event that I really think that I'm going to uh, work in the warehouse. You know, there, uh, Once in a blue moon, they ha- there's an all-hands-on-deck where we get a ton of orders for something and we need to get them all out in a rush 
So uh, there's a day or two where everybody goes to work in the warehouse. And if that sort of thing happened, I'd probably leave my phone on my desk while I was in the warehouse, or I would just bite the bullet, buy a a robust phone case for the day for those use cases. It's sort of, TJ, it's like dress for the occasion. You're you're not going to wear jeans to play, you know, baseball because you're just going to get hot and sweaty and it's Mm -hmm. it's baggage. So you want to get something way lighter than that. And then if you're going to the gym, you know, and and so, but then there's plenty of times, if you're going to do something up on the roof or you're going to be raking leaves, you're going to be wearing the jeans. And I feel like cases ought to be viewed that way. You don't have one case that suits every imaginable situation. Especially with these magnetic cases, it makes that even easier. Yeah. So maybe you have the case that goes with your Sunday best. And when you're going out to dinner with your wife, and then you have the other case that you're using while you're doing that woodworking project outside. And if you do accidentally drop the phone off the edge of your table saw, then it's <laughs> not going to shatter. Mm-hmm. So, which is funny because in contrast, I think it's kind of wild that you're going caseless, but you are getting Apple Care. And I've got a case, but I'm uh, Apple Careless. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Careless. Well, Joe, um, there's one more thing that I want to talk about today before we call wrap, and uh, that is uh, something we did. We devoted an entire show to our Nintendo slash Mario kind of world. And so this is a topic that I'm interested in and that you're interested in. Um, I have no idea what Bowser's Fury is, but Super Mario 3D World is releasing with Bowser's Fury on February 12th for the Nintendo Switch. Super Mario 3D World is a game that I actually had uh, on, or well, I technically still have, for the uh, um, the Wii U. That's the, the console that it launched with. And um, it, uh, my, my Wii U, unfortunately, the uh, disc reader has stopped working. And oh, so, that's too bad. Yeah, it doesn't really work anymore, so I can't really play that game. Uh, however, I uh, once it became available for pre-order, I instantly ordered this re-release of Super Mario 3D World for the Switch. Uh, I'm super excited because it is the Mario game that started getting me back into 3D. That, that I realized, oh, so I and, and I, I have and have been playing occasionally um, the very first Super Mario 3D game, uh, Super Mario 64. I got to tell you, I'm enjoying it. But it's not a good 3D game. And, and and that's not Nintendo's fault. Like, this was the first one, right? It was it was groundbreaking. But in retrospect and with the passage of time, it's just difficult to control in the 3D space. And um, it has quirks and things. And so I, I – and I remember from playing it once or twice when I was younger that I just didn't like 3D Mario. And so I was kind of like, well, I'm just a 2D Mario guy. I'm a platform, you know, 2D platformer. That's what I like. This game, Super Mario 3D World – it kind of turned me around because it's much easier to control Mario in 3D space. It still has its problems. you got to kind of watch for the shadow, you know, because sometimes you think Mario's going to land somewhere, but if you're not watching that shadow real good, he doesn't land where you think he's going to land. Yes, but good point. Overall, overall, Mar- Super Mario 3D World is a really fun game, and um, I'm excited to play it again once I get it for the Switch. Yeah, and it still looks like it holds up for modern Nintendo graphics. It's not quite as good as Mario Odyssey, but kids these days would not look at this and say, oh, that looks so old, Dad. Where'd you dig this up? Yeah. See, it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's better or worse than Super Mario 3D. I mean, Super Mario Odyssey, it's different. It is uh, more – it, it, it's as if they – um, did a high um, a high fidelity extrusion of Mario as you would imagine him from the 2D, the modern 2D platformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas Super Mario Odyssey is 
different from that. I don't know how to describe it except because it's not it's not like it's more realistic. It's just a different style. And I think they're both good. And I think this is more of the fun and cartoony Mario versus Super Mario Odyssey is a little more grounded. I remember when this game came out on the Nintendo Wii U that I had and I used it. I got the game and we all enjoyed it in four player mode. One of the things you can't do in Mario Odyssey. And one thing that I think a lot of the people who missed the Wii U are going to get this experience for the first time now. And it's, it's going to feel like it is superior to Mario Odyssey for a lot of the gamers just because they can use two player, three player, and four player. And it's easy to add them and take them away while you're on the go between stages. Then you also have sort of like the competition quality between the players that everybody's getting points and you can see how well you did during the gameplay. So everybody knows that Toad is not pulling his own weight like everybody else is. And that's funny. And it it creates a little bit of rivalry while at the same time you're trying to work like a team. I really found this game so much fun. One of my favorite games in terms of sound design for a Nintendo feature. Like I thoroughly enjoy the music and it just works so well while you're in stages and then you're in the map view. So two thumbs up. I'm really glad they're going to bring it. And as somebody who already played it all the way through, I knew TJ that we had to get this game when my wife also brought it up on her own accord saying, Hey, there's that game coming out and I really want to play it again. So Ali, that's a sign we got to get it. But for for all of us that have already played it, we're also getting this extra level Bowser's Fury. What, what is Bowser's Fury? Tell me a little bit about that. So I watched a walkthrough. No, not a walkthrough, like a trailer for Bowser's Fury. And I don't know how you'll get there from the, the main game, Super Mario 3D World. I wonder if it's just from the menu. Like, will you from the menu say, I want to play Bowser's Fury? Or do you go somewhere on the map to get to Bowser's Fury? Like maybe you beat Super Mario 3D World and then a new area is introduced on the map. And what happens there, TJ, is it's basically world building on the 3D world game where there's a new map, there's a new layout with a new reason for existing where uh, uh, Bowser Jr. is doing something on this map. Mario ends up uh, involved with what Bowser Jr. is up to and the two of them actually work together. So you can use one player mode where Bowser Jr. is independent as a what do we call them? A non-player character, and he's an autopilot, and he does yeah, things in, that in either, PC. Yeah, and they either helps you or kind of helps you. The Mario has to clean up the situation after him, or in a two-player mode where Bowser Junior is actually uh, the second player. So it's not got the four-player aspect of 3D World. But then there's a new objective, there's a new map, and Bowser shows up really huge and angry and acting a little bit more like a monster. Think Godzilla. So he shows up furiously firing off fireballs, burning the place down, and Mario's got to dodge fireballs coming from all directions. And then the objective is to collect 
items so that a bell which in in the Super Mario 3D World game, if you get the bell, Mario has a cat suit. Well, if you get this one gigantic... Side note, I never understand uh, Nintendo's ideas with power-ups. Like a feather gives you a raccoon tail or a different kind of feather gives you a cape (laughs) and a bell makes you a cat. Like, I don't understand. It's fun, but I don't understand. It's fun. It is fun. I'm just waiting for the teacup that like gives him extra, extra long arms, you know, for no apparent reason. But... Yeah, so if you get the ginormous bell, then Mario is in the cat suit, but he's also ginormous to go up against ginormous Bowser. So that's Bowser's Fury. Okay, well, I'm sure I'll play it. I'm sure it'll be interesting and fun. I I thought of a way to better than Mario sixty four. Well, I thought of a way to explain kind of the difference between Mario Odyssey and Super Mario 3D World. So to me, Super Mario 3D World is the continuation of the line of platformers of Mario that started in 1985, where it feels like it belongs in that world. All the elements are just more of the same, right? You have so many elements that most of the elements have already been introduced in the other Mario series and the 2D platformers, they're just extruded into 3D. Whereas Super Mario Odyssey, so so I, I feel like basically Mario was rebooted with Super Mario 64, and it really didn't have a lot of continuity with what came before. Not a lot. A little, but not a lot. Mm, I mean, it's still clearly yeah. Mario. But, but Mario Odyssey feels like the culmination or the continuation of that line of Mario. Mario 3D World feels like the continuation of the 2D platformer line of Mario, uh, even though it's 3D. Yeah, okay. So it's like an alternate reality Mario. Yes, that's kind of the way I look at it. That makes a lot of sense. Even among the Nintendo developers, creators, they talk about how between the various games, they view them as almost completely different worlds. So Mm -hmm. uh, what is his name? Miyamoto has described how in Mario Kart, Bowser and Mario are friends and get along together alongside of Wario and Princess Peach. There's they, they they're just friendly on friendly terms but they don't think of that bowser and mario as the same ones in the super mario world adventures <laughs> right where bowser's they're mortal always, enemies yeah yeah so yeah yes, it's interesting yeah, yeah. Well, got to get it February. What is it? February 12th. You February pre-ordered 12th. it. I've pre-ordered, I pre-ordered it. it. It's supposed to arrive on my doorstep on February 12th. And, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, don't even, I don't think the kids really know that I did that because I, I basically ordered it when I ordered a bunch of the other games for Christmas presents or whatever. And uh, yeah, we'll see. All right. So, well, I think that's a show. We have yeah. several other items in our outline that we want to talk about, and I'm sure they'll be completely stale next week when we do talk about them uh, because there are rumors <laughs> about iPhones and Macs and things. But we'll we'll talk about it next week anyway. Man, you know uh, of an Apple it, event I don't know about where they're going to come out with all those things? <laughs> I don't know. But in, in the meantime, Joe, if people want to talk to you about Super Mario or your iPhone case or your wallet or or the, the screens that we talked about or want to explain more about the year of Linux to you, where can people do that? On Twitter, I am at JCS Darnell, and I'm there for you, man. And if you want to chat with me about those things, uh, I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. If you want to find links to the things we talked about, they'll be in the show notes at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 19, because this is our 19th episode. So check out those show notes, and they'll also be, uh, we've, we've got them in the feed, and they'll appear in any good podcast app, so that you can just click them right there from your phone or whatever device that you happen to be listening on. We will talk to you next week.
spoilers for WandaVision. Yes, don't listen unless you're okay with spoilers. So, WandaVision, Joe. <laughs> yeah, uh, we watched it. Oh, what do you think, man? Well, so I kind of, um, we did, my, my wife and I watched the first two together, and then we didn't have time to watch it. And so I got back from my run before the show, and I put in my uh, AirPods uh, and uh, put it on my iPad as I was changing out of my workout clothes and as I was grabbing a snack and that sort of thing. So I just, just watched episode three. Uh, I assume you're caught up on episode three as well. Yeah. We watched it last night. So I got to tell you, I don't like cringy um, sitcoms with laugh tracks. <laughs> I, I never have. There are one or two exceptions, uh, although I would not say they were cringy. So interesting thing, um, I loved when I was growing up, loved, 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 loved the Cosby show. And um, just as a side note, I, I started watching it again a few years back with my kids. And then as I was in the middle of season one, the whole thing with Cosby came out, came out that he was uh, um, uh, sexual misconduct on the set and, and taking advantage of young women. And I stopped watching it and I, I just can't stomach watching it anymore. It really yeah. sucks that it ruined it. Yeah. Cause I normally try to disassociate from people in Hollywood and the characters they play, but this was too much. It was too a bridge too far. That is the, that and full house are the notable exceptions to sitcoms with laugh tracks. Um, Full House is a little more cringy, um, whereas Cosby was just truly always funny and not really cringy. WandaVision is a sitcom with a laugh track, or at least it's we're in a world of a sitcom with a laugh track, <laughs> and it's very cringy. And <laughs> that first episode, I had a hard time getting through, and my wife didn't like it either, and we're both going, oh, man. And, and everybody's praising it, on, and I, I feel like I'm just the odd man out because everybody on Twitter, everybody's like, oh, this is so refreshing, and it's so great. And I'm, I'm just like – Make it stop, please. I just want to watch superhero <laughs> stuff. The second episode was better because I think I, I I sort of put myself in the mindset of okay, this is what you it know is. What to and expect it's not like after I, episode one. This it's not like I'm not going to watch it. I have to watch it, right? There's no <laughs> there's no option. And and they started giving more hints of the something. And and you know you I knew something was going on. But but they started giving more hints into a world outside of whatever is going on in, in Wanda's head, question mark. Um, you know, so it um, – yeah. And, and I started noticing, okay, that laugh track is almost like it's mocking. It, it's yes. like – it's almost like it's laughing at the not funny stuff. And then the stuff that's actually funny, you don't get much out of the laugh track. And, yes. and so it's almost like it's mocking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like other – Like something's there's just not quite to be, right about this. Yes. So something, something is going on and whether it's in Wanda's head or as we saw at the end of episode three is, is she, has she actually created some sort of physical barrier buffer of her own world? Like there's, there's something interesting going on. I, I can't wait to get to that part because I'm in it for the sci-fi and, and for the, for the fantasy, not sci-fi, maybe the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying. Well, I really <sighs> appreciate that they're trying something new and different and it's oh, kind of funny sure. as a foil that I guess you got the first, what is it? Marvel cinema studio making their first television show and their television show has a foil that it is a show where the characters are experiencing life as a sitcom show, which doesn't make any sense at all. So these characters are not playing out. It's not like Wanda, the Scarlet Witch from the Avengers, as we know her, is now actually in a sitcom that is taking itself seriously. 
but there is something weird afoot and this is no, unnatural sure. and they're already alluding to that with some of the things in every episode but like in episodes two and three i don't remember if they did this in one there's an example of a scene that starts to go one way but then it's backed up it's like they backed up the that tape was episode and two. then reco- uh- and it, but it also happens in three uh, well, well, okay. It, it, it happens differently in three, but there's definitely a yes. blip, and it's like she, right. Wanda doesn't like what's happening, and so she changes it. Is the implication? But see, you think it's Wanda that changed it, or somebody it, okay. else controlling the situation? It definitely was Wanda, or it's it certainly the implication was it was Wanda in episode two. It's unclear in episode three because it's almost like there's a glitch in the matrix, and she she had a funny look uh. on her face, but then everything just sort of snaps back into place. That one is unclear. The The second one, the implication was – not maybe it wasn't, but the implication was that it was Wanda. I can I mean, see that, know. yeah. I hadn't thought of it from that angle because she was saying no, no. And I, I didn't understand why she said that. I thought well, I took then it she to sort mean of, something else. She sort of did her hand in a reverse motion and then that's when the the reverse happened. Um, so there, I, I, I do feel like she has some amount of control over whatever world this is. Um, and, and, and I, and the implication too, was that she is the one that ejected the, I can't remember the lady's name, Geraldine, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, she, she ejected her from the reality and that's when you get the shots with the helicopters and the stuff, you know, shining lights on her out in in, uh, ostensibly the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that stuff is definitely more interesting to me. I, I will say, um, Emma Caulfield, uh, fantastic. Loved it. Um, I, you know, she's a favorite of mine from Buffy, the vampire slayer as uh anya and so it was fun to see her here and i want to know what what it is she's doing to not age because <laughs> she looks exactly the same as she did in buffy I, let me get some of that know. cream yeah. yeah no kidding anyway um so that that was a lot of fun i mean there's certainly fun elements and when i relaxed more into it it was more fun i just oh man the cringy sitcom stuff Oof. Well, um, are you familiar with the dick van dyke show or what was it called uh, the brady bunch Oh, the Brady. Oh, oh, oh. Well, that's another thing I, that reminds me. The the set for the home has been different each episode, yes. and the one in episode three was very much a throwback to the Brady Bunch. Yeah, and I think that the they're trying to, on the one hand, make it uncomfortably similar and allow you to know. We know that you know as the audience that something's not quite right and none of this makes any sense because yeah. these events are supposed to happen what, on what looks like three days back to back. So day yes. one, they're in a new neighborhood and they've got uh, the husband and wife lifestyle and she's staying at home. He's got a new job. He's got to impress the boss. And then in the second you know, episode, the show is less like the dick van dyke show it is more like i don't know another uh sitcom of that era but i must be missing which one and their hairstyles have changed and you know their wardrobe has changed now they're doing things differently with more people Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. there's you know doing a talent show for the children and their special motivations for the characters to get along with the neighborhood people, but they don't really know each other, but they're like going in deep with them in the last 12 hours. <laughs> and then at the end of day, she's pregnant and everything changes again. Yeah. So what they introduce the color and her baby's coming and it, it, you really want this to happen for them. It's a beautiful notion, though it doesn't make any sense because how in the world would Vision have a child? 
And then in episode three, you go from not being pregnant to being pregnant and delivering in virtually, what, another three days, four days, maybe tops? I have no idea. So, yeah, it's a mystery. Because I, uh, like my wife and my daughter were watching these with me and my, I didn't expect my daughter to be interested. And originally she said she didn't want to watch it. And I said, come on, just give it a chance. So she watches episode one with us, then immediately was like, can we start episode two? And then we watched episode two and I asked her as we were putting her to bed, hey, do you want us to save episode three to watch with you? Or do you mind if mom and dad watch it, you know, tonight after you're asleep? And she said, no, 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 I want you to save it for me. And so we saved it for her and we watched it all together. We introduced our son to it with episode three and they're all entertained. It is one of the oddest things we're probably going to see from uh, Disney Plus, TJ. It's just a very curious thing. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I, I'm again. It's Marvel. It's not like I'm not going to watch it. And it, it once I sort of got over my aversion to the laugh track and the the sitcom situation, it it got better. And and it's very clear that Paul Bettany and um oh the the star of the show. Come on, TJ. What's uh <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen? Very good at like you know because I've only ever seen either of them in the context of their you know characters in in the MCU, and this is very clearly different. And they're very good actors, both of them. So, um, you know, I'm we'll see where this goes. Yeah, it, I'll be curious to see if they're suggesting that the Scarlet Witch actually wants this to escape from reality. Then it feels like there has to be something more to it than that because. I know she would miss vision and she would miss the life they could have had together, mm-hmm. but maybe this is, maybe there's got to be more to it because if, if she's somehow responsible for this mess, I don't know, TJ, I just, I, I kind of hoped better for her. I, we'll see, you know, I mean, she's been through a lot of trauma and, and part of yeah. me wonders is, is this, um, she's the daughter is, of Magneto. Does, does Vision – because Vision's physical form was destroyed in uh, uh, Infinity War and he was not brought back. And so part of me wonders if his consciousness somehow transferred to her when she was doing the thing. You know, I, you know, I don't know. There's, there's questions. It would be curious if there was a way with this they would bring Vision back. I hadn't thought yeah. of that until just now because I think everybody was thinking that they were done with vision. And this one just begins with him present. And we assume it's because this is all an illusion, but what if this is the way they get vision back? That'd be neat. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll probably talk about it more in the future episodes. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. 